This is the Moira Pentecostal Church Podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. You turn to Genesis chapter 6. This is part 2 of where we were this morning. And I will read the two portions of Scripture in Matthew 24 and Luke 17. Matthew 24, reading verse 38 and 39. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then Luke 17, verse 26. And it was, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. We said this morning that Jesus spoke those words in the context of his second coming and warning of the judgment to come. We said that that validated the whole account of Noah and the ark and the flood, which was very, very important. And it's even more important today for us to know that and to be reassured and assured of it. So without recapping and everything we spoke of this morning, in part one, we want to basically pick up where we left off. God had told Noah that he was going to destroy everything on the face of the earth, and he instructed him to build this big boat, an ark, which basically was a huge barge. And he gave him all the dimensions, and this would be a massive undertaking. Hebrews 11:7 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So up until now, there had never been rain on the earth. We looked at that this morning. And no one certainly had ever built such a huge boat as this. God warned of things not seen. So you can imagine the ridicule that Noah must have received in all of the years uh, he was building this ark. They must have laughed him to scorn. He would have become the butt of jokes. The clever people would make him a byword. They would hold him in derision. They would call him a fool. Much like, actually, how people treat believers today who believe in creation and if they believe in a young earth rather than millions and millions and billions of years. In fact, there are many, many eminent scientists in their fields, top-notch scientists, who does believe in the creation account. But yet they struggle to get papers published for no other reason than they believe in the creation account. Recently, NASA uh, fired one of their top men 
for no other reason than he believed in creation. It had absolutely nothing to do with his job whatsoever. Didn't even come into it. But simply because he believed in creation, they wanted to get rid of this nutter. Those are my words, not theirs, but that's really what they meant. And so, Noah cared nothing for the ridicule and scorn of God deniers. As far as Noah was concerned, let God be true and every man a liar. Noah was walking by faith. God has spoken. He would obey. Remember, Jesus was ridiculed. Jesus was mocked. Jesus, the Son of God, was held in derision. Remember, Peter said that in the last days, scoffers would come, ridiculers, deniers. And are we not living in those days also? But Noah moved with godly fear, and he moved with faith, and he did what God asked him to do. So let's pick up the narrative here again in chapter 6. I'm reading from verse 17. God said, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you, and they shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. And Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. God is sovereign. Therefore, God, what God says, he will do. What promises God makes, he will keep. Behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth. There are many prophecies in Scripture that are as yet unfulfilled. Some have been lasting for hundreds of years, yet unfulfilled. But because a sovereign God spoke them, they will be and they shall be fulfilled. They are sure and they are certain as what God promised here. And so it says, Noah moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Now Noah had to be obedient. No time must be wasted. God has spoken. He must be diligent and not slack concerning God's warning to them. And if he was slack and if he was not diligent and he didn't build the ark, then he would perish like everyone else. You remember in Goshen and Egypt how that God said 
that the death angel would pass over. And so the Hebrews were to put blood on the lentil and doorposts of their houses, and they were to go indoors and stay under the blood until the death angel passed over. And if any one of them had went out of that door and come out from under the blood, they would have also saw their firstborn perishing just like the Egyptians. But Noah did exactly as he was asked to do. And in verse 18, God makes a covenant with Noah. Now, there are many covenants throughout Scripture. And they're made for different reasons to different people, sometimes to an individual, sometimes to a nation, for different purposes. But one thing is common about covenants that God makes is there's a blessing in the covenant. And there was a blessing in this covenant. And the greatest blessing is in the new covenant. The covenant that the Father made with the Son on our behalf, the new covenant, that's where the greatest blessing is. And thank God he made that for us. Hebrews 8 and 6 says, Christ has made for us a better covenant because it was established on better promises. So all of the covenants in the Bible, none of them compare, none of them rise to the great height of the new covenant that we have in Christ. In verse 18, eight people in all went into the ark. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. I've often pondered whenever Abraham was bargaining with God regarding the people of Sodom because his nephew Lot and family was there. You remember he bargained and got right down to ten. If there's ten righteous, will you destroy the city if there's ten righteous? And God says no. I've often wondered why he didn't go to eat. He was counting. And he was counting Lot and his wife and his two daughters who were married. So that's six. But then there was two virgin daughters. That's eight. Unless he felt that those two virgin daughters had already got married because he hadn't been in touch with Lot for some time. But he didn't bargain down to eight. But there's eight here that was saved in the ark. And by the way, even though I ponder that, in the end it wouldn't have made any difference because there was only four of them actually come out of Sodom. And one of them, his wife, was turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back. So there's actually only three of them come out of it in the end. But here are eight in all. And they're in the ark. So that must mean that Noah's wife, his three sons, and their three wives, that they also believed Noah. That they also believed that he heard from God. That they also believed that he preached righteousness and they believed that word that he preached. And somewhere along the line, they too accepted the word of God and they accepted the promise of God and they accepted the warning of God. And they too believed. But they too had to take a step of faith because when push came to shove, they actually had to go into the ark. 
They actually had to leave everything they had ever known and everybody else they had ever known. Their homes, their possessions, everything, maybe apart from a few trinkets. They had to leave it all behind and by faith walk into that ark and believe that their dad had heard from heaven and trust the word of God. And obviously they did that. So isn't it encouraging to know that Noah's faith and Noah's righteousness and Noah's lifestyle had some effect even on his family. Verse 19 to 22, it's amazing how so many people, including believers, never get past the animals going in two by two. That's because we usually don't read on and find there is more than two by two. In fact, if we go into chapter 7, and the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now, before we come to verse 2, where it talks about seven, not two, let me get you to notice this. The Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. In the previous chapter, he says, go into the ark. Now he's saying, come into the ark. Implying that God was already there waiting. And if we, by faith, if we accept the plan of God and the will of God and do the work of God, God will be already there before us waiting. He'll be there for us. He says, come into the ark. God was there waiting. I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And you shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, to each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, and also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. Now these seven is different than the two. And you can see right away there that the two are the unclean animals and birds. The seven are the clean animals and birds. So why did he need the seven? That would be three pairs and one. Well, we'll see later on. There's two reasons. First of all, whenever they would go out of the ark, the first thing they would need to do is eat. And God commands them after that that they can eat the beasts of the field. They can eat meat. So I'm sorry, vegetarians. If you're a vegan or a vegetarian, I'm sorry if that upsets you. But God actually allows the eating of meat. And I'm glad that he does. Not to eat of a lot of it, but I like a bit of it now and again. But anyway, the seven, the one left over, because he'd have to make a sacrifice. As well as provisions for them, there'd have to be a sacrifice made unto God. 
And the provision for them and the sacrifice for God could not be taken from the unclean animals. It could only be taken from the clean animals, the kosher ones. That's how God would accept it. And so that's the reason for the seven. And then as we read on here, we also see a little bit more. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. After seven days. So after 120 years that God gave them space to repent, it's now down to the last seven days. And God is saying to Noah, Noah, seven more days and the rains will come. Why seven days? Well, we're not sure. It may be. Remember Methuselah? Remember what his name basically meant? When he goes, it will come. It was prophetic of the flood that was to come. And Methuselah died in the year that the flood came. And the probability was he died shortly before the flood came. So it could be this was seven days of mourning for his uncle Methuselah. Could be. Or it may simply be it's time to pack up the ark. It's time to get moving and to get going. Or it could be one last signal to anyone who was watching or listening. It could be this is the countdown. We're right on the edge of the rain's coming. But for every of those reasons, God gave them seven days before the rains were to come. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. So Noah with his sons, his wife and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. And of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the earth, two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah, it came to pass that after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. It could be that Noah had to spend that first seven days in there before the water came, before the floods came. We're not sure of that. But he certainly knew that time was extremely short. Then verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, three, thing, three things happen here. It says the fountains of the deep were broken up. We referred to this this morning how that somehow God caused the earth underneath the earth crust to begin to break up. Uh, we know that today, for instance, there's the tectonic plates, uh, that tectonic plates that keep moving 
and shifting. I was reading the other day that Australia moves north 18 centimeters every year. In fact, they have to adjust, they're going to have to adjust their whole satellite positioning because some satellite uh, measurements has to be absolutely exact because they're using satellites today for more than just us driving our cars or sat-naps. And since the 90s, Australia has moved a yard and a half or a meter and a half north. And it's constantly, because all of the continents are shifting and moving. Uh, we were in Iceland there just, I don't know when it was, last year, months ago, whenever it was. And you can walk between those tectonic plates. On the one side, you have the North American. Then this side, you have the Eurasian. And you can literally walk between. In fact, you can, if you're a diver, you can dive in and dive between them. And the water's crystal clear between them. So God caused, somehow God caused these fountains of the deep, these vast underground reservoirs of water to break forth and to gush up. And you can imagine that was... Uh, something terrible and, and the damage that would cause. I, I watched, in fact, the other night uh, a, a little program and they talked about a sinkhole somewhere in America, this sinkhole. It started off just a little sinkhole and it's grown and grown till it's a mile wide. And it's in a forest. And I actually showed you while they were filming, it showed you just rows and rows of trees just sinking into the, into the just disappearing completely. And so the fountains of the deep were broken up. Something cataclysmic was happening underneath the earth's surface. Not only that, the windows of heaven were open. We talked this morning about that. Many believe there was a, a vapor canopy around the earth before the flood that held masses of water. And the, and the windows of heaven were opened. And then the rains begin to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. If rain fell for one week, for seven days and seven nights, we would all know about it. Our streets and our fields would be flooded. Can you imagine the whole earth for 40 days and 40 nights? Not only was the water coming down, but the water was coming up. Whole continents were being covered. In fact, the very words that are used in the New Testament for flood, Jesus used it in Matthew 24 and 17 and 2 Peter 2 and 3. Peter uses it. The word is a unique word for flood. It's not like any other word that's used for flood. It's cataclysmos. Cataclysmos. And that's where we get cataclysmic from. So this was a cataclysmic event like it had never been before and it's never been since. This is something unusual and it affected the whole earth and it changed the very geology of the earth and the very topography of the whole earth. It changed everything. So this was no local flood. There's lots of people who say it was just a local flood. It only affected a small area. Well, if it had been a local flood that was coming, if God was going to send a local flood, all Noah had to do was take him and his family and migrate somewhere else. Go 100 miles up the road. No, no. 
This was a universal flood. This was a global flood. The whole earth was covered, the Bible says. And then he goes into the ark. Let me see where we left off there. Yes, verse 13. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and their three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. Then every beast after its kind and all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, and every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh in which is the breath of life. So those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now before we come to that, somebody says, well, how in the world did Noah round up all those animals? I don't believe he had to. Animals migrate. God has put within the mind of animals that at a certain time of the year they migrate. The wildebeest in Africa. The bisons in North America. The caribou in Alaska. Even birds migrate. Even whales in the sea migrate. And nobody knows how. How do they know to do that? God put it in them. It's instinct. It's there. And so there came a time when they would migrate towards the ark. And Noah didn't have to go out and round them up. They came to him. They came to him. God is God and God can do anything and he can make anything work to his advantage that he wants. And then it says, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. They were shut in and the rest of the world was shut out. Imagine what it must have been like when God closed that door. God shut them in. Not Noah. God shut them in. An invisible hand slammed that door shut. Sealed it. And everybody else outside, their fate was sealed also. No reprieve, no second chance, no hope, door forever closed. <laughs> what about Noah's neighbors? Because he had neighbors. What about the people who knew this man really well? And probably believed he was a good man because he was blameless in his generation. But a bit weird. A strange kind of a bod. But what are they thinking now? What are they thinking whenever the rain's hitting them on the face? They're thinking that old fool was right after all. He wasn't such an idiot. We're the idiots. Imagine living right beside him, seeing this being built every day. 
hearing him preach every day, and yet they disregarded all of it. I can't say for sure, but I can imagine there was people that he had employed to work on that boat. This was a massive, massive boat. We mentioned that this morning. We showed the dimensions. I don't know whether Noah was a boat builder or not. Who knows? But I get the feeling that he probably employed some people to help him to build this boat. And if he did, and they were building that every day for years, and yet they never believed in it. They never believed in it. You know, there's people that go to church nearly every week and they don't believe in being born again. They're so close to it, but they don't believe it. And these people were so close to it, but they just wouldn't believe it. But God closed the door. The skies darkened. The rain began to fall. The fountains of the deep began to gush up. The earth began to shake and split underneath them. And I suppose, humanly speaking, the thing that you would do is to try to head for high ground. We saw in the tsunami in Japan some years ago, whenever it was, we saw people had, there was lots of footage of it on the news, and you could see people racing for high ground, trying to outrun the tsunamis. Well, there'd be tsunamis in those days. Whenever the earth's crust began to break, you can be sure there'd be massive waves would be washing over the land, and they would run for high ground, but there was no ground high enough. There was no cave safe enough or deep enough. There was no mountain high enough. So no matter how hard they ran, how high they ran, there was no escape from this judgment. But surely, surely, Noah would have mercy. Surely Noah, as a human being, seeing his neighbors, seeing his workers, seeing his community being washed away, surely, surely he would open the door and let somebody in. But God closed the door. And maybe that's why God did close it, so that Noah couldn't open it and have mercy on them. Judgment had fallen at 120 years to repent the time for it was long gone. It was done. It was over. Now it could be argued. It could be argued that God told Noah to build this ark for him and his household. It couldn't have held everybody anyway. But remember, God is an omniscient God. He's a God who knows everything. And he knew exactly how many and only how many would go into that ark. Who would believe and who would receive his mercy. But that didn't stop him showing mercy for 120 years. Even though he knew, he still showed mercy. That's the mercy of God. That's the grace of God. That's the goodness of God that we cannot explain. But he did it. 
And then from verse 17, I believe it is. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. That must have been a moment when they were all in that boat, and suddenly they felt it lifting and moving. Any of you have ever been on a cruise? You're in the dark, and you get into your cabin, you hang your clothes up. The next thing you do is you head for the diner. Whether you're hungry or not, you just go to the diner anyway. But then there's that moment when it leaves the dock and you're on your way. What a moment that must have been for Noah and his family. And the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. There was no rudder on this ark. Noah wasn't steering it. It wasn't meant to be steered by man. It was meant to float. God would guide it. We'll see that later. God would steer it. God would get it where it needed to go. And it says, And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. And the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. Fifteen cubits is 22 feet. Above all the high hills and the mountains. Now we know that Ararat, where the ark finally rested, has an elevation of about 17,000 feet. So we're talking here, if you can get your head around this, of water, in co water covering the whole earth at least three miles deep. At least three miles deep. No wonder will the pressure of that, that the land began to separate and move and continents were shaped and formed. Such would be the pressure. And all flesh died and moved on, that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle and creeping thing and bird of the air. All, they were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Now it rained 40 days and 40 nights. But the fountains of the deep still were gushing forth. 150 days. Whole continents were covered. This is catastrophic. This is cataclysmic. This is 
something that had never happened before and has never happened since. Yes, there's local floodings, and yes, thousands of people lose their lives, but the whole earth is not flooded. Sometimes you think Ireland's going to be flooded this summer especially, but we've escaped so far. The waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Then God remembered Noah, not that he'd ever forgotten about him. It's a Hebraism. It means now was the time for God to move again in Noah's life. God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. Any farmer will tell you today if you have a really, really wet summer and it's coming near harvest time, the thing they want most is wind to dry the ground. They need a week of good wind to dry the earth. And God has used the wind many times. He's used the wind at the parting of the Jordan. A great east wind came. So God can use nature when he chooses to. So he caused this great wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters receded continually from the earth. Somebody says, where did the waters all go? Well, a lot of them would evaporate because of the wind. But remember now that the earth had been broken up and so there would be new places for the water to go into. And some of it would go back to where it came from. So that's not a problem for God. The waters receded continually. At the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, in the seventh day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat, which is in Turkey, present-day Turkey. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month, and in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So here at the top of Ararat, I told you a moment ago, Noah wasn't guiding the ark. There was no rudder. And anyway, he couldn't see. And God got it to land. Now remember, this is a flat bottom barge. So it couldn't land precariously on a cliff edge of a mountain because then when the waters receded, it would fall over. It couldn't land on a jagged edge of a mountain because it would be punctured. But somewhere in that range, God knew exactly where to rest that boat on a flat surface. So when the waters would recede, it would be sitting perfectly flat. Only God knew where to put that boat. And it rested. Noah's name means rest, by the way. And here he is, resting in this 
ark of rest. We rest in Christ, don't we? He is our resting place, isn't he? Spiritually speaking. If you count it those days, you're talking about 75 or 76 days. You're talking about two and a half months. So even the boat had rested and had come to ground, as it were, they had to wait another two and a half months. In fact, the whole process from when they went into the ark to when they came out of the ark was at least a year. To be precise, if you count up all the times and the dates, it was about a year and ten days. And if they would end those seven days before the rain came, it was a year and 17 days. That's a long time, isn't it? That's a long time to wait. <laughs> That's a long time to trust. But you see, he was living by faith, not by sight. He was trusting every day. And what God had said so far had come true, so why not trust him for the rest? God knew exactly what he was doing. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. A raven is a carrion bird. And whenever it went out, it didn't come back. It went to and fro. Probably there was lots of cattle and beasts and probably human remains floating about and it would land and it would eat and feast because that's what carrions do that's what carrion birds do but it never come back then he also sent out from himself a dove the sea of the waters had receded from the face of the ground but the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot because the dove is not a carrion bird there was nothing that she could see that she wanted to put her fill. I haven't time tonight to go into all this, but you could just take those two things and you could make a whole sermon out of the raven and the dove, but that's not my point tonight. She found no place for the sole of her foot, so she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out of the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a flesh, freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth, and Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So during this time, the waters had been receding and receding and receding. He didn't know much. He couldn't see where he was. But obviously, some olive seedlings had come up some leaves were appearing and the dove plucked one of them and when he saw that he knew it was getting close that the waters would be completely off the face of the earth so he waited yet another seven days and he sent out the dove which did not return again to him anymore that was a good sign he was well pleased he knew things were looking good and it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, 
And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the whole ground, surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Now when he looked out, and it says he saw the earth was dry, but you count those days before he looked again. That was a lot of days. And then he saw again the earth was dry. In other words, when he saw it, it was dry, but not enough to walk on. Not enough to move upon. It was going to take another little while before it was completely dry for him to move upon. He's been waiting a long, long time. Sometimes in faith, you've got to wait a long, long time for the conditions to be absolutely right. And all of this time, he was waiting for God to speak again. He was doing all he could do to see the signs around him, but he's waiting for God to speak. Then, verse 15, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons, and your sons' wives with you, and bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle of every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may, be, so that they may abound on the earth, and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. And every animal and every creeping thing and every bird and every, whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Not one in the ark died. Not one animal, not one human being, not one creepy crawly. Nothing died on the ark. Perfectly suited to preserve life. Glory to God. And if we are in Christ tonight, we are perfectly suited to preserved, to be preserved in Christ. Glory to God. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal. There's the reason for the seven. Three pairs and then one left over. And took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Now let's just pause a moment. The first thing Noah did was build an altar to the Lord. The first thing he did was worship the Lord. Remember, here's the man who walked with the Lord. Here's the man who worked for the Lord in building the ark. Here's a man who witnessed for the Lord. Here's a man on the ark who waited for the Lord. And here's a man who worships the Lord. Well, there's a whole series in that, so there is. I should have done a five-part series in that, shouldn't I? Nah, I'm only joking. And the first thing he does, he worships the Lord. Isn't that lovely? He worships the Lord. He builds an altar to the Lord, and he makes a sacrifice. Those seventh clean animals, those seventh 
clean birds. Every one of them, he makes a burnt offering unto the Lord. And metaphorically speaking, the Lord smelt it. The Lord was pleased with it. He was so pleased, he said, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Now, that doesn't mean he took the curse away that's on the ground because of Adam's fall. He's talking about this flood. That's the context. I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, even though that is the case, this is the grace of God, the mercy of God. He says, never again, he says, will I destroy the whole earth with a flood. Nor will I again destroy everything, every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. Glory to God. I like to think about that when the environmentalists are telling us that everything is changing so bad and so fast and so irreparable. <laughs> God says, no. As long as the earth remains, there'll be day and night. There'll be summer and winter. There'll be heat and cold. God has arranged. Now, I don't know. Pure speculation. I don't know. But we know now that our day and night is because our earth spins on its axis at a thousand miles an hour. 24 hours in a day. So we get 12 hours of daylight, 12 hours of darkness around the earth. We know because of the tilt of the earth that's going around the lap of the sun, we get our seasons, we get our four seasons. Whether it was like that before the flood, I doubt it. It seemed to be a entirely different atmosphere and entirely different weather conditions because there was no rain. But God is saying in the fact, as long as this earth is keeps spinning on its axis, <laughs> we're going to have night and day. As long as it makes that journey around the sun, we're going to have winter and summer and autumn and spring. <laughs> as long as the earth remains. Some things will change, but that's never going to change as long as the earth remains. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, of every bird of the air, of all that move on the earth, and all the fish of the sea. That may imply that it hadn't been there before. And they are given into your hand, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. Hmm. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, with its blood in it. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man's blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man, and as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply in it. 
even the New Testament, because of the Jewish food laws, even going back to this. Whenever Gentiles became believers, some of the Jewish Christians was insisting that they obey the food laws. There was a whole big meeting about it in Jerusalem. And it ended up and it says, no, you're allowed to eat whatever you want except things strangled and things with their blood in it. Because the blood is so symbolic of life and God loves life and every life is very precious to God. Every life. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, As for me, behold, I will establish my covenant with you, with your descendants after you, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to know, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. <laughs> We're so accustomed to rainbows that we never even think about it. But we should think about it. Every time I see a rainbow, I think of those scriptures. I think that's the mercy of God. That's the promise of God. And even if it rains for a week, I know it's going to stop <laughs> because as soon as that rainbow comes out, there's the sign. It's going to stop. Yeah, people say, well, that's just science. That's just light coming through water. But we never had that before. <laughs> never had that before. There wasn't raindrops for that to happen. But there is today. And every nation on the face of the earth can see a rainbow. A constant reminder, a sign in the sky that God will keep his word and never again will he flood the earth. But, and we'll finish with this, but. But Peter reminds us that one day God will judge the whole earth again. He says in 2 Peter chapter 3, Now, beloved, I write to you this second epistle, in which both I stir up your pure minds by way of a reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But, listen to this, for they willfully forget... 
they willfully forget. It's not that they don't know, they willfully forget. Romans 1, Paul says they suppress the truth. They put down the truth. Not that they don't know it, they suppress it. They willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then was perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The authorized version says, are kept in store, reserved unto fire, stored up with fire. Man has the ability to split the atom. God is the creator of the atom. And God can split it any time he chooses. Will the whole earth be blasted to smithereens by nuclear bombs? No. Doesn't mean a nuclear bomb won't be launched. There's enough nuclear bombs actually in store right now that could obliterate the whole earth. But God will never let that happen. God is the one with his finger on the button. (laughs) You know, whenever... Theresa May became the Prime Minister there just a few weeks ago. Uh, I, was, I was listening to one of the pundits, the political pundits, talking. And a guy was asking, well, what's it like when you just become Prime Minister? What's the first thing that happens? She says, I'll tell you what the first thing is. She's taken aside by national security. And they said, here is what you've got to do in the event of a nuclear bomb. That's the first thing she's told. And she stood up in Parliament when she was asked, will you press the button? She says, Yes. Let me tell you, God's got his finger in the button. (laughs) And if anybody's going to press any buttons, it's going to be God. (laughs) And all God has got to do is just speak or press the button, as it were, and the whole heavens can burst into fire. It's stored up in the very elements. Oxygen, nitrogen, nitrogen's not flammable, but under great pressure it is. And we know that oxygen is dangerous anywhere near a fire, isn't it? You've got to be so careful. So all the elements are there. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some kind of slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Noah got 120 days. We have got 2,000 years and, and counting. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, believers, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Glory to God. (laughs) 
as in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Surely, surely we're getting close to those days. But God has got it all under control. And I, for one, am glad tonight I'm a believer in Christ. I'm glad I believe in this book. Put this book above all things. The scientists change their minds every week. The astronomers change their mind every week. The environmentalists change their mind every week. The politicians change their mind every week. But that book never changes. It remains. They say, why? Because it's the truth. It doesn't need to change. So we put our faith in God. We trust his words. Amen? Amen. And we walk by faith and not by sight. And God's going to make a way for us. Christ is our ark, isn't he? The song we sing on here, we didn't sing it tonight. Johnny usually sings it. But the ark, he's our ark. He lifts us above the storms. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your word gives us assurance and confidence. We thank you that it comes to pass. It is real and true. And you're a sovereign God. And what you prophesy and promise will come to pass. Glory to God. And so we trust in you tonight. We leave this building in assurance and confidence that you will do what you said you will do. And you will do for us what you said you will do. And we thank you that we have a safe place in Christ tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk